Welcome to Startup Junto, a podcast by your host, The Finance Ghost, and the Venturing Vagabond, who writes fantastic startup-themed articles for thefinanceghost.com. Both of us are fascinated by startups and how businesses grow. Inspired by the Club for Mutual Improvement of the same name that was put together by Benjamin Franklin in the 1700s, in Startup Junto, we hope to pick the brains of players in the South African startup and venture capital arenas. In the process, we just want to learn. You do as well, which is why you are listening. Welcome to Startup Junto. Welcome to the Startup Junto. Tonight, we've got a very special guest. Uh, not only is this our first VC-backed company, our first global company that's expanded into the US, and also a company that's been included in the Gartner Report, Luckily for our guests, this is not our first show. This is the fourth Startup Junto. And so without further ado, I'd like to welcome CCO and co-founder of Snap to the show. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Yeah, it's good to be here. Very high above Cape Town. These are very groovy offices. Very cool offices. We, we were just admiring the... I suppose the ceiling, for want of a better word, it's not really though, because it's all made of concrete. But when it was built many, many moons ago, the builders used newspaper as as part of it under the shutters, I think you said. And it's so cool because a lot of it is still stuck to the, the roof. So <laughs> I just know that, you know, there's an advert for typewriters and it's it's quite amazing to sit here in such a such a techie company as you guys are, and then there's ads for typewriters on the on the roof. It's just, it's really yeah, brilliant. It's, we actually have a, a thing of uh, collecting artifacts in our in our business. So like making little short videos or uh, keeping, I don't know, first emails that we may have sent about a particular topic or something. Your old couches here in the back. My old couches from, from my house, yeah, weather beaten. And uh, so, yeah, we really liked our architect, uh, I think it's called a soffit, but our architect told us just keep it exposed, and I'm really glad we did. That's really cool. I'll remember that for next time I have a horrible DIY project. I'll just tell Mrs. Ghost that it's a soffit and it's an exposed, <laughs> it's an exposed mess. But here it really works. It's certainly not a mess. It's brilliant. So yeah, thanks for thanks for hosting us. It's very 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 cool to be here. Yeah. So we only started the podcast about two months ago, and at that point in time, we didn't really have a lot of knowledge about about Snap. And so it was only at a social gathering recently when I started speaking to one of your employees and she was telling me about the job that she's doing. Um, she was saying that she's enjoying it. That's free publicity, by the way. And um, Are you sure she works for us? Right? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, she opened the gates tonight. So, I mean, Jag, we, drag yeah. you away from home and come and speak to us at this, uh, this funny hour. Yeah, so at, the, at that event, I started getting fascinated about the business. Uh, I became pretty unsocial, uh, spent most of the evening researching the company, read a little bit about your backstory, and then, I mean, much to the dismay of my wife, but I knew we wanted to interview you, so we, we're very, very uh, excited to have you here. So something I think we wanted to ask you about, and it's a great marketing tool for you guys. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I mean, when, these are one of, when this is one of your first clients, it kind of just sets you up forever to tell the story. But I'm going to ask you to tell the story. NASA was one of your first clients. Yeah. I don't think names get any bigger than that in terms of giving a general feeling that smart people are buying your product. Yeah, so no, it was crazy. That's probably why it takes about 20 minutes to check into the office. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just about. This is the most secure building I've ever been in in Cape Town. You almost have to give a urine sample when you come in. It's quite aggressive. How did you? How did the NASA thing happen? It's just such a great, great story. We're curious as to the, the quick background of that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
so I, I've always said that, uh, you know, our buyer has to be super motivated and super um, enabled and empowered, right? So they have to have a problem that they really want to solve. Um, this is initially, right? We had no brand. We had no marketing spend. Like, we might have had, like, a couple of posts on Reddit or something, you know, like, hey, you know, we've just launched this, check it out kind of thing. So how they found us, I have no idea. Like, zero idea. And they were our third customer. And How does that phone call come through? Did they email you? Like, hi, it's NASA. <laughs> yeah. You must have assumed it was yeah, like a 419 like, scam and you were going to send your banking details out and never see your money again. I yeah, mean. yeah, please, if you can just send me uh, $5,000 <laughs> now, I'll, I'll, I'll return you uh, the Mars rover. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so we, yeah, so we, I, I got a call from, from Dave and he'd received this inbound email just, you know, from some guy at NASA. That's amazing. And uh, he'd had like a conversation with a guy and the guy had said to him like, look, you know, we're a state agency in the US and we have this kind of like local procurement policy. So we, we prefer local unless there is a very specific kind of uh, thing that we can't find locally and then we're allowed to go um, outside of our, our borders. So please, you know, give us your like whatever it was, like L19 form or something, you know, from our like local entity. We didn't have a local entity. So Dave was like, cool. No, well. fr fresh out of L19 forms, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Dave was like, uh, uh, okay, dude, so like, you know, how quick can we spin this up? Uh, so, you know, and, and I, I wasn't even full time or anything. So I was like, I don't know. I have no idea how to even begin doing this. So he goes back and he's like, okay, well... We're, yeah, we're out of those. <laughs> Can we do something else? So the guy does like a whole motivation up the chain, writes his business case and everything. Um, and maybe like two, three weeks go by and, and then he's like, okay, cool. Uh, I've got permission. We can do this. Amazing. Um, and uh, so then he asks for the invoice and we'd like put a zero, like an extra zero. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this. We put like an extra zero on the invoice because it just seemed too little. You know, it was like $300 or something. We made it like $3,000. And the guy was like, are you serious? Is it just $3,000? I'm just going to, I could have put this on my credit card. <laughs> I spend more on like Friday drinks. Um, so yeah, so that's our story with NASA. That yeah. is so great, honestly. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's an amazing story. <laughs> and they used it for like a, a pretty hardcore project as I understand as well. It's pretty cool. That's amazing. That's so surreal. And yeah, you probably could have put a few more zeros because we are such a rounding error on an American procurement spend. It's well, just frightening. Could have put two zeros, like yeah. an additional two zeros. Yeah. Could have made it three hundred thousand dollars or something. It's absolutely. Although I tell you what, I think the marketing value that you've gotten out of it for the rest of time is probably added a zero. It's a great story. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome story. And we've got some other really awesome uh, Halo clients as well. Some I can, some I can't talk about. Yeah, for sure. Very, very, very cool. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to end up at Snap? Yeah, I was one of the founding partners of a, a local venture capital fund. One of the, so as, as partners, you kind of split off and you, you kind of take lead on different investments and um, came across uh, Dave and Snapped. And at that stage, it was pre-product, phenomenally smart guy and a pretty cool idea. Uh, so some of the things that you look at when you're in in a, VC is you're looking at the, the sort of the product, the team, and, and the addressable market. And uh, so this particular uh, product, the promise of it was that there was this big market with some really old school players, and uh, they'd been delivering the solution via hardware. We call it TIN. Yeah. Up until that stage, you know, it had been kind of pretty fat and happy for them, and we saw an opportunity to come in and 
you know, grow at high velocity and really scale with a, a software-only solution. And I think we're the first software-only um, application delivery controller uh, anywhere globally. Anyway, so long story short, he was a sole founder, he was the, also the sole employee. <laughs> My kind of inclination is it's very hard to do this alone, and so I spent a bit more time with him anyway. Um, and uh, so his name's Dave, by the way. You know, I, he's just an incredible guy, and, and we've become really good friends, and it was really good chemistry, and, and, and at the same time, I think my kind of MO was always getting really stuck into the business. So in VC, you call that sort of like more like an operator type model. And uh, so I just got more and more involved and I've got other things going on as well, um, some of the little projects. But this was the, the one that kind of really captured my imagination and we were figuring out pricing and structuring and how are we going to position our product in the market, how the hell are we are going to go into the US and things like that. And got more and more captivating and, and one day I just had to make a call and so the call was between kind of like sitting in the bleachers or being on the field you know yeah um, and uh, I figured that maybe I belong on the field uh, at least for this chapter so um, so that's kind of my journey started there getting more and more and more involved hiring the first employees and heading up the whole commercial side of the business um, kind of like launching these offices and Things like that. Yeah. And what what is it about Dave that was so special? Because obviously, I mean, as a VC, you have, have seen many different entrepreneurs. You had a, had invested into so many different companies. Was there something particular that stood out about about Dave? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there are a lot of things. Um, I think you know everyone is unique <clears throat> that we end up investing in, and people talk about like, are you looking for coachability? Are you looking for someone who is, you know, they're really, really smart. They know when to push back, but they also listen and things like that. And Dave obviously fulfilled all of those kind of criteria, but slightly below the, the sort of the, the surface, I'd say, is there's a, there's a guy with incredible kind of curiosity and he prepares so well um, for anything that he he does that he takes seriously and he sets like incredibly high standards and we got we get on very very well and um, so we got on from the very kind of beginning i suppose uh, if, if there's any advice for people looking at uh, forming like a founder partnership the main thing is we have uh, aligned values you know yeah and so i've got this guy who i trust implicitly he's really really smart i enjoy working with him He's insightful, and, and so, yeah, those kind of things very much fulfill my, my thesis, you know. And, and by the way, build those relationships slowly. Don't just kind of, so, so to speak, jump into bed uh, and, and get going, you know. That's an interesting point because I saw um, Y Combinator now on a couple of occasions. They've actually forced single founders to partner up with a co-founder before they can join the batch, which then from that point of view, that's not a natural relationship, is it? Well, it's something that I struggled with uh, from the very, like the very beginning of my working career. Is uh, you know some people can do that and that's fine, that's good for them. But I had to build like an alternate thesis because it's not the way I work. Yeah. And so my alternate thesis, which is not binary, it doesn't mean that my way is the only way or it's superior. It's just my way. But you know what what works for me, and I and I think it just makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of like sort of like parallel examples and data that would. That would make that would kind of prove it out as well but basically just take your time um, get to know people and you know I prefer to build deep relationships of, of high value rather than like very broad shallow relationships 
I would guess that a lot of those Y Combinator partnerships could fall aside, fall away. And then probably uh, there's two other things that are happening there. One is uh, quite a lot of kind of like matchmaking, making sure that they're like the sort of the psychographic stuff all fits and all that. And then secondly is agreements, you know, making sure that there's complete alignment, that they each know, each partner knows what they need to bring and what their expectations are of the future. And then they put in like vesting and all sorts of stuff like that to make sure that if one of them does kind of leave or their horizons change or they realize it's not what they wanted, you know, that they don't take all the value with them and stuff. So they probably put a lot of like belts and braces there. I think one of the best things you can do in your career and your life is work with just talented people which isn't that easy to do, right? Because a lot of corporates, you know, there's kind of a talent pool, a really talented pool, and it's quite spread, and you don't necessarily get to work with those people that easily. But I think in startup world, and I mean, that's how the Vagabond and I met was working for a, essentially a boutique investment bank, and we formed a really good relationship, which also took time, as you say. Not because I didn't like him straight away, but just because, <laughs> you know, it's cool to just build these things over time. You just get yeah. to know each other more, and you work together, and you... Your values are aligned. Our skills are actually very different, to be honest, yeah. which works really well. And we haven't built anything together yet. I mean, we collaborate on this podcast, but I say yet they're very strong because I have no doubt that one day there will be, there will be something. And it's cool that you formed a similar kind of relationship, you know, with him. He's not in South Africa anymore, is he? He's not based overseas, or no, is he still he is. here? Yeah, yeah, he's is based. He? In, he's based in Johannesburg. Yeah. Okay. Shame, yeah. shame. shame. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, that's actually quite interesting because Cape Town is the home of startups, right? Um, well, um, not, not so much, actually, in your no, view. No, not really. It's kind of yeah. like San Francisco and New York in the mm. US, you know, just very different flavors. But I think both have great uh, startup cultures. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I kind of feel like, uh, if anything, you know, the, the one thing that South Africa needs to get right is collaboration, you know. And I think Joburg has a really awesome vibe. I love going there. And Dave and I talk a lot of... Uh, a lot of swear on here. A lot of, a lot Probably of, not. <laughs> we talk a lot of smack about uh, Joburg and Cape Town. Um, but ultimately, you know, just different flavors. What's really cool yeah. about uh, Cape Town out of interest, you guys probably know this, there's a huge amount of similarities with, you know, like the Valley. There's a couple of really good universities here. The climate is incredible. People fundamentally want to live here. A creative class. There's a creative class, yeah. I was going to say a moneyed class, you know. Yeah. There's that kind of like second, third generation wealth and all those kinds of things. I kind of suspect that with COVID, you're going to get a more kind of like mobile workforce, more people from the north wanting to live. And when I say north, I mean like beyond our borders. I'm wanting to live on roughly the same time zone, but not necessarily in the same place. Um, so I think Cape Town will be quite a big beneficiary. But, but Joburg's awesome. It's just such a rad place. Beyond our borders, you mean anything further than Durbanville, basically, for the average <laughs> yeah, Cape yeah, Townian? Yeah. Beyond the curtain. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know <laughs> no, exactly. So, you know, just getting back to business, I mean, it's a, it's a very tech-focused company. And, and for those who understand yeah. tech, they'll understand what you do. And for those who don't understand tech, their eyes might close over a little bit and it gets kind of put in this bucket of, oh, my goodness, what is that? So it would be interesting to hear from you firstly, as though I'm five years old, which is probably where my tech knowledge is, mm -hmm. um, how would you tell me what Snapped does? And then after that, assuming I'm kind of the CFO of a big company about to sign it off, getting briefed by you know, the CTO or whatever example we can think of, then what does Snapped do? Just so okay. that listeners of our podcast with various levels of tech can, can both understand what's going on. Uh, yeah, sure. So for a five-year-old, you know, um, I suppose we're, you're playing um, like Minecraft and Ninjago and, and uh, your mom's drawing money from the ATM and buying your stuff at the shops and all that sort of stuff. And all of that runs off the backbone of applications, right? So 
um, and all of those applications need to be delivered. What we do is we make sure that that delivery of those applications is made in as, as highly optimized way as possible and, and, and that they're completely secure as well. I think like, you know, when you're playing games and things like that, you want to make sure that it may be not for the five-year-old. A very I'll, advanced five-year-old. Very advanced five-year-old, but, but for... The smartest five-year-old in the class. Basically, you're one, you're one-year-old. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically, you know, you want to make sure that, like, you know, there's no latency and, and, and things like that. And, yeah, so that's what we do. Um, and then talking to kind of, like, the CFO, it's really interesting, actually. It gets... It, it kind of... Uh, on the surface of it, it is kind of like, you know, what is application delivery controllers? But it's actually super, super interesting. So you have this massive explosion of data, massive explosion of, you know, things like IoT and all these kinds of things like that. And you've got distributed workforces and, and you've got this, um, you know, this continuing um, rise of like, for example, like e-commerce and, and, and the digital consumption of goods and services, basically. Um, and what you want to do is you want to try to make sure that those applications are as consumable as possible. So if that means, you know, putting them as close to um, the consumer as possible, um, making sure that that the load speeds are really fast and things like that, and then set that against two other paradigms. The one is trust. If you paint a picture in your mind of, of how the graph of data and endpoints and all of that has exploded and how everyone's going digital, so too are malicious actors, right? And um, they're going for your data and they, they, they're going for all, you know, these kind of like digital assets that, that companies hold, um, particularly about their IP or their customers, whatever. And if you are breached, that's a massive problem, right? And, and so we do a lot of security around that. And then the second part of that is companies are having to defend against uh, newcomers, people like us in a way, you know? So you have banking, guys come from banking, and suddenly there's like a zero fee bank all of a sudden. And then suddenly there's like a digital only bank all of a sudden. And then there's like this niche insurer that only does like one thing, but they do it super, super well. And, um, and these legacy players, or have, they have teams of like a thousand um, you know, personnel in their IT departments, but they can't launch a new app because they have to provision services from central procurement and all sorts of stuff. And so they're not agile. So, you know, the, the kind of the modern paradigm is you want to be very secure, you want to make sure that your business is massively enabled, it runs on applications, um, and, and that you can be agile. And so that's what we do. Something I want to touch on there, actually, is uh, the point around being agile and big corporates and big teams. Something that's been a huge reality in the last year has been retrenchments at big companies. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes. It's, it's a horrible thing to watch. And what's even more horrible is you see people who have been in those companies for 10, 15, 20 years. They've gotten really comfortable. I think yeah. you used the words earlier, fat and happy, which I thought was quite funny, and, you know, in the context of the company. But it's that, it's that getting into a comfort zone where you've kind of stopped growing, you can do your job. That just doesn't work in this world anymore, does it? I mean, you, you can't really get to that place because things are changing so quickly. There's disruptors with teams of 10 or 15 very talented people who can suddenly come and replace 1,000 people sitting in a corporate and a lot of what they do. And it's, it's, it's interesting in terms of how people craft their careers. You know, if you can get into a startup or you can work in a smaller, agile business, I just feel like you give yourself a better shot at becoming an asset long-term as opposed to going and taking a, a cushy, really big corporate role and just managing people. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a, a great story on that. But, you know, beginning of COVID, so I, my, my side hustle is... Um, uh, in fact, it's not a side hustle. It's a bit of a passion. But uh, it is a wine 
education and distribution company. You know, we went overnight from doing super, super well, many customers across, across the continent, uh, to all outbound on travel, on, you know, tourism was like in the, you know, in the toilet. And I met this friend of mine, and he's a, um, a hedge fund manager. And I was so, so bleak. And I said, man, whatever you do, just don't do this entrepreneur thing. Uh, and he was kind of weird, like, talking about it and laughing about it and kind of crying in my soup about it as well. But, um, you know, two weeks later, he'd just been retrenched. <laughs> um, and, and he was the – he now kind of – he works with us. But, uh, and is doing fundamentally different things to what he was doing. He had to retool, reskill. Luckily for him, he's, he's super smart. Um, and, and add, you know, he has like a very pliable mind and, and quickly adapts and things. But you know, the guys that I worry about are the, the guys who've been doing like uh, sales via, you know, the bar and the golf course and things like that. You know, that, that's changing. And I can see that changing in the US. You know, you talk about like high velocity sales and things like that. It still has to catch up here. There are a lot of changes that are still, you know, it's. So, you know, that, that kind of thing, that kind of those paradigms uh, are things that if I were in corporate, I'd be really worried about, you know, and automation. Again, back to banking, you know, like traders, FX traders, things like that, uh, just getting hammered um, by automation. They don't even realize it, but, but their jobs are being eaten away from the inside out, you know. So it's, it's a scary place. I agree. I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but a startup. It's pretty tough, though. Yeah, it is. I mean, my motivation to start the finance goes because when I was uh, in my corporate day job and a whole lot of people were getting retrenched and I just thought, shish, baby ghost is about to arrive. I don't want to be going home and telling my wife that I got retrenched and now I don't know what to do. So I thought, no, 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 no. If it's that easy to let people go, then I will start the side hustle and see where it takes me. And the last year has just been the most amazing ride with it. Yeah, so Um, I have a theory and I call it destiny control, but you just want to take control of your own destiny, man. Like you don't want... My first kind of real gig was in a corporate. It was my last one after about sort of 24 months or so. It was the last time. I still remember my employee number and, and stuff like that. And, and they just see you as an asset, you know. So, um, yeah, much better to work in a startup. It is volatile, but, you know, your average tenureship at a, at a corporate is probably a few years anyway if you're, if you're any good. Yeah, that's, that's true. There's a... A guy I do some work with, and he, he, he sponsors my ghost mail mailer, and he said to me, happiness is when you control your diary. And it's, such a, <laughs> it's such a great definition. I don't know if anyone ever gets to that point, because your clients and everyone else is always going to get a piece of the action, but yeah. it feels like it's a good goal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the dream. Yeah. Something I want to ask you, just while we sit here in your office, looking at the number of chairs and everything, I mean, as a startup grows, and obviously you guys are a very tech-focused business, clearly, sort of split between people who are doing a very technical job that that is in line with what you guys offer versus kind of marketing people, legal people. I'm just curious, at what point do you get to that point where you start to layer on what would traditionally be the support services? Uh, Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, um, so we're product first. We'll always be product first. But we also kind of like there's all this other stuff that needs to make sure the machinery happens and keeps going. Um, I'd say... A snapshot, we're probably about 60% tech, maybe a bit more. And it's kind of hard to tell as well because the line blurs. Like a really good sales guy is pretty technical. A really good marketer is pretty technical too. But like pure tech players, maybe like 60%, I'd say. Interesting. Okay, cool. So something as a non-tech person that I've picked up and also we're starting a business and 
it's a wonderful world we now live in where whatever you need to do as a small business owner, chances are there's an online cloud-based solution for it that costs you a small subscription of some, of some kind and you're A for away. It's a beautiful time to be an entrepreneur. It's really amazing. And something I really enjoy about a lot of those products and those platforms is they do comparisons on their websites. So I'll give you our podcast hosting solution as an example. So we host with Costos and the reason I chose them is because they also allow for a private show that people can subscribe to and maybe we'll do that one day. Maybe we won't, but it's a nice to have, and I think we might get to that at some point, uh, specifically with Magic Markets, which is one of the other podcasts that I do. So they had a whole page on their site dedicated to you know them versus Buzzsprout, them versus all the others. And it's this very feature-based way of competing, which I'm sure is quite similar in your world. And I think that's what I wanted to ask you, I guess, is in the world of tech, it, it is all about features, right? And it's about how to differentiate yourself from the competition. And do you think that businesses outside of the tech world are doing that enough or do they kind of just hope that the marketing is enough or hope that people find them without necessarily their solution being why people are picking up the phone? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've, that's such a good question, to be honest. Uh, and there's so many like nuances to my version of the answer. Um, so yeah, if you're competing like only on features, um, like you know, just straight up, you know, shoot out. It can be in in some instances, it can be like a race toward commoditization. You know, um, you kind of there's there's still a lot of like nuance and, and a lot of subtlety around. A lot of the marketing that happens, you know, storytelling um, and things like that. So you, you kind of like you're building a narrative, you know. So like our narrative is that, you know, when we launched, um, there, there was just these like massive monolithic solutions. And it was all about basically just ripping your customers over provisioning, totally not scalable. It's massively complex to run and manage. And the world kind of needed a lightweight, a modern solution, right? So within that, there's use cases. Let's call use cases rather than features, right? Um, and, and so there's some areas where we'll be same. And there's this kind of saying, same, same, but better. You know, so we're the same in these regards. Yeah, sure. But we're better in this use case. We're better in that way. And you really try to like find, carve out these kind of like segments, niches, where you're just way, way, way better um, than, than anyone else. So like, for example, we're way better at scaling um, uh, intelligently. In fact, we've got a global patent on that. So yeah, so what I think, uh, what I think uh, when you extrapolate it to other companies, I think you really want to think about that, that storytelling. Uh, you want to really... You know, in, in in telling the story, you want to really understand your your buyer, and uh, and and the story that they're going to pick up as well. You know, they have to have a real need in that area, and then and then you you need to be able to tell it authentically. You know, um, which means that you need to be able to follow up on what you're saying. So I think I think if you're able to like really solve very specific use cases and demonstrate and articulate it in in a very like crisp, concise way, that's that's the dream. So yeah, that, that would be my advice for, for all companies, tech or not. And then you've got to market to those use cases. That's such a great answer. Same, same, but better. There's an entire strategic framework that you can build around that. So for this podcast hosting platform that we use, they do podcast hosting, which is really the same as everyone else, but they're better for private podcasting. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, that's, and that's their game. Or well, they're way better actually on that. You know, yeah. So I guess if you're aiming for the betters and the way betters and you're making those use cases fit to your target market, then... You're off, you know, and and there's a cool kind of like bootstrapping strategy as well around that. Where, um, let's say you're starting out and you want to figure out like your customer journey on your website. Well, you could do like ten thousand iterations and like A/B test everything and take ten years to get there. 
Or you could look at the very best version of a company that's done that and copy them, you know, and then iterate and improve like the last two or three percent, you know. Yeah. And so the, in that way, you're starting at parity with them. Uh, and then you're just iterating and improving on the margins. Those kind of like those areas where you believe you, you're different and better, et cetera. Um, so that's just like maybe like a tangential derivative version of, of the same kind of theory. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like the Steve Jobs, uh, a real artist steals, basically. <laughs> it's absolutely 100%. That's exactly right. A good artist creates like a real artist is a thief. Yeah. And you 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 got to say like okay cool this works really really well. Um, you have to know what greatness looks like. Yeah. You know you have to say okay cool this is great this is really good. Um, and I'm gonna use it. <laughs> and but but this is where I can optimize and improve. And that like one or two percent it's not linear. It's 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 where all the magic is. It's where all the difference is. And you need to still tell that story by yourself. So. Yeah, so your story is your story. This exactly. is like much more sort of like functional type of stuff, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I used an example in Ghostmail a few weeks ago. Like there's a whole line of people waiting to buy pancakes and you can open a little food stall next to the pancake stall. You know, going with the, I don't know, kale and broccoli shakes is probably not the answer because those people want pancakes. So go with donuts and just stick with what they were looking for, just make it slightly better. It's a similar It's a exactly. similar idea, you know, going... Pretty similar. Yeah, there's a, there's a proven use case here. See that as a benefit and then find a way to compete slightly like, differently. Like, okay, these guys want pancakes, but the queue's too long. I'm going to have, like, a super efficient pancake store. Yeah. Or whatever it might be, you know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, very cool. Thank you. Okay, Doug, you guys have been going now for around 10 years. You've rolled out to really successful products and you've expanded into the US, but obviously being an ambitious company, a company that's growing, what are the key things that you're focusing on currently and are there any new initiatives that you're working on um, that you can maybe potentially expand on? Uh, yeah, so we are. Yeah, so we've expanded into the US uh, and pretty much global now. So we're in sixty countries, and uh, I think that our you know our, our solution has gained pretty good traction. Our growth is we've got sort of like growth upon growth now, which is a fantastic position to be in. There's still so many solutions that that we're seeking for the various problems that we have. What I really want to do now is just focus a lot more on um, building out our brand. It's one of the big areas, and then. Obviously, like from a product perspective, we have a technology platform that has a lot more application, a significant amount more. Um, so like vertical verticalization that we can do from a product perspective is like a really cool kind of like IoT play that we could do as well. Um, yeah, there's there's loads of legs on, on the product front and we want to we want to go deeper there. I think we're only like... 25% where we want to be even. And and we've got like, I think, fantastic foundations there. And yeah, so it's really just about like kind of taking the foundations that we sweated really hard to build, building on top of them and building something really awesome. In a perfect world, what does Snap look like in 2013? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, t that's a really tough question. The pace of technology is changing so fast. So like the boring answer might be, um, you know, that we are delivering maybe 20% of the world's traffic, I think, uh, and, and securing it as well. But I think we're going to go very deep on the security front as well. We're going to go deeper and deeper. We've launched something called um, ThreatSense, which is looking at where the, like the malicious IPs are coming from. And, and you know, I'm looking to build that into your security um, posture. 
if you just look at the curve, if you just look at how incredible the growth of the world of data is, the SKA, the square kilometer array, I don't know, it like doubled the amount of data South Africa was producing like virtually overnight, you know, something like that. And it's just happening faster and faster and faster. Just fascinated to know what happens with like quantum computing and, and people are talking about like the actual network becoming much, much, much more intelligent. That's where we are. Yeah, so look, I, I think we're going to be a big part of delivering and securing the applications of the future. We, we really want to own a very big portion of that globally. And obviously we have pretty sexy, pretty exciting product roadmap, but 10 years is a long time. <laughs> Just talking about the kind of the companies of tomorrow and the jobs of tomorrow and, you know, with data and everything else, it feels like there are only a few different types of things you kind of want to be doing one day. And that's either creating the stuff that travels to people or finding a way to deliver it and make it more secure or being someone who funds either one of those activities. I mean, that kind of feels like a way to future proof. And this is not with relation to Snap. This is relation to anyone who's thinking of what to do with their lives. You know, if you can... If you can do one of those things and get one of those skill sets, it feels like you've got a reasonable chance of, of, of having a, a decent home in the next 10 to 15 years. Because I think the pace of growth, people don't think about it in terms of their career choices. They forget that the first iPhone was launched in only 2007. It's only 14 years that the, the smartphone has changed our lives. What is the next 10 to 15 years old? It's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Though. I mean, you know, back to kind of, I guess, like snapped in the original question. For the first time ever, I think that there's like a bionic heart that's been approved um, for, for use. Applications are running the ventilators that are keeping people with COVID alive. You know, it's, we live in a world that is so connected, so much data, and it's so complex and it's becoming so much more complex. Both the way that it's delivered and optimized and, and things like that, as well as the way it's secured. So it's, it's, it is super interesting and, and, I, and I do think that it is more and more something that is, is, is just an incredibly important part of the future, I guess, landscape of work. At the same time, you know, in a world where everything's automated, you know, there still needs to be magic and beauty. And, you know, kids that or young people that pursue like arts and things like that, maybe that's also future proof, you know. I agree. 100% agree. I think the world of creators is looking exciting. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Really and I suppose that's what you were talking about when you were saying like you're either, you know, creating the content or you're kind of delivering it or you're consuming it or something like that. That's yeah, exactly sure. it. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting and exciting space. Um, the thing that I would like to ask you is, you know, around, the, con around the, the process of scaling up, I mean, you guys have scaled really well. You know, you are a truly global company. You've built something that by all accounts would normally have been built, I guess, in the Valley and you've built it in South Africa, which is really inspiring because for all the South Africa bashes out there, who I personally find quite annoying because I think it's possible. <laughs> I literally wrote about it this morning. I mean, Vagabond, you, you messaged me about it even. You know, it's possible to believe about South Africa that one, there's a worrying trajectory and two, there's still a lot of opportunity here. You can believe both those things. And I think, you know, you guys are living proof that that is, that is the case. So I'm just curious, you know, building this thing out of South Africa, what have been kind of the biggest challenges you've faced while scaling the business? And, and obviously, if you can link that to any advice for other startups who may be listening to this, on ramping up, just the one or two key things that you, you feel you learned the hard way? Well, I learned a lot of things the hard way. <laughs> um, and and uh, it would be my great privilege to be able to help people kind of straighten the line and 
get there a bit faster. Some of the things that were struggles for us, they morph and change. It depends on where you are. At the beginning, it's starting out, you're thinking, you know, where should I be based? It's one of the questions kind of thing. We're trying to build a model that is kind of like uniquely South African. Israel is a good place to look at as a kind of like a like maybe a bit of a benchmark. Uh, so some of the benefits that we have is we've got a like a great um, diaspora globally. I find that a lot of the, the the diaspora is like pretty receptive and wanting to help out and things like that, which is great. And uh, and and I think it's getting better. You know, second time entrepreneurs who've made it, you know, at a, on a global level and things like that, kind of paying back to to the community, which is great. So the first lesson is definitely network. It's it's got to be network. And the second thing is really understand what the benefits are of being in South Africa. Um, you know, lower cost base, very kind of like sincere, earnest type of culture where, you know, we may be not the best sledges on the cricket fields compared to the Australians or whatever. We're not the best marketers compared to the Americans. We kind of very much say what we mean and do what we say. And those are good things, play to those strengths uh, and like work ethic and things like that. And then try to infuse and transfuse via networking and via learning and via podcasts like this one. And there's some incredible podcasts out there. Just try learn. Because your job as a, as a, as a founder is, is really to like learn fast. And that's kind of like your job, you know, like learn fast and implement. That's awesome. I really enjoy that. As an ex-colleague used to say, there's a fine line between networking and not working. And uh, (laughs) mainly in the context of Fridays around the table tennis table. But uh, (laughs) yeah, that, that that is great advice. Yeah, so I think scaling is one thing, but also fundraising is another. And Snap was quite fortunate to have raised VC funding in South Africa at such an early stage. It's probably only a handful of companies in South Africa that successfully raised VC funding. So what would you say is probably the biggest mistakes that startups make when they go out to raise funds from the likes of a 40i, Knife Capital, and all these various different VCs, specifically in South Africa? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Uh, like, So assuming you've got all the right building blocks um, to be fundable, maybe one of the mistakes is not knowing your audience as well as maybe you could. That's something that I've seen quite a lot. Being maybe like a bit myopic and like parochial and like small-minded can can also be an issue. Yeah, not running a good process, you know, like let's say you've got like five potential funders. And and by the way, I've succeeded at this and also failed at it in the past. But it's kind of, you know, they've, they've all got their own pressures and their own kind of lives, you know, careers and, and work that they're dealing with and competing pressures and you kind of have to find a way to like manage everyone through the same process. Otherwise, you've got one party that's like ready to go and another one that's, you know, kind of just figuring out who you are. And they're at fundamentally different places and kind of like fundraising pipeline. Your fundraising is kind of like a sales pipeline. You know, you put your candidates at the top and then you look to like, you know, graduate them down until close. So that's, that, you know, that's something that I think that people could generally do a lot better. The main thing, though... If you're in the sort of the fortunate position to have, you know, options is don't take any any money for the sake of money. You'll hear this a million times. Yeah. Everyone will say it, right? And if it's a truism, it's probably true. <laughs> you, you know, I've seen, not at Snapped, but I've seen like really horrendous boards, misalignment of like, um, you know, incentives and objectives and politics and and the business just gets absolutely sidelined and crushed. 
as a result. So I used to, and I can say this now because I'm a, a founder, but like founders are like cockroaches. We'll find a way to survive, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll survive. Uh, we'll survive without money. What what will kill us is when you've given away your equity and you've got a bunch of yeah. uh, not great And you're not incentivized not anymore. You got to have the right. You got to have, and and your board must must complement your your own shortcomings and 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 skill sets, uh, and must also work well with each other. You know, so you bring on one shareholder, you want to make sure that your other shareholder and that shareholder kind of like see eye to eye and more or less get each other. And and you talk about culture inside of a business. Uh, culture at a at a at a boardroom level is also extremely important. So I think that. Um, you know, assuming you have the luxury of getting the money, you really want to make sure that the guys that you're getting the money from really do understand you, do value you, do kind of get you, are of the same kind of like ethical makeup, are complementary to your business and to you as the as the jockey and to one another. Yeah, that's tremendously good advice. And uh, I, I think we've seen it as well in our previous advisory lives. People just take money for the sake of it. They either don't know what to do with it or they take it from the wrong people. And the investment bankers don't, don't, don't care too much about whether or not you get on once the fee has been paid. You know, they're, they're there to introduce you to the parties and the founder needs to decide whether or not that's going to be a, a good fit and whether or not the money makes sense. And, and I've had a few people in the last year say to me, oh, can we invest in the finance course? I'm like, well, no, because number one, I'm happy to do it myself right now. And number two, I actually don't know what I would do with the money because I don't have any costs. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just enjoying growing this thing and seeing where it goes. So I think, yeah, a lot of founders don't, they don't think like that. Uh, I've got a very, very good friend and uh, he has a great business. He had an opportunity to bring on investors and I said, come on, man, you got to do it. And I was advising him and everything. He said, Doug, stop. I'm doing this my own way. I'm doing it differently. And it took him longer, but he has full destiny control and uh, he's built something truly beautiful. Now, I took a different path. We, we, took, on, um, we took on some funders, et cetera. And I have a different benefit from that. You know, I, I have people on my board that I can call and they can be tough and they, they can give me, you know, very like candid sort of undressed opinions of you know what I'm saying or what I'm thinking or but it's it's always you know company first and all these kinds of things and I as a person have grown as a result so it, there's no one answer but uh, just consider that very very carefully bad money is really bad that's Can, great advice candid answers are the best thing about getting out of corporate I would think and uh, certainly less less politics and all that kind of thing and, and just to finish up on the fundraising point and and then a few more questions and I think we're out of time is um, you know, in, in South Africa, there's, there seems to be some VC funding available. And then what we don't have is a NASDAQ. We don't have a situation where companies are going to market, achieving solid IPOs. I, I, the last IPO of any size on the JSC that I can really remember is probably Discam. Can't think of anything that's been that big in the last two, three years. I think Discam was probably, yeah, must be about three or, three or so years now. You know, console glass tried and, and, and went away. There was no interest. The IPO market in South Africa is just completely dead now. And there's just nothing coming to the JSC. So stuff is changing hands, but it's doing it away from the public market. And I guess maybe it's an unfair question, but if, if there was to be a big offer for Snapped one day, do you think it's going to come from South Africa? Do you think it's going to come from a JSC company? Or do you think it's almost certainly coming from overseas? Yeah, I think it'll probably come from overseas. There's been interest um, and... Yeah, it's it's just like it's a, it's a it's a completely different environment there. Uh, we could have like a whole discussion about it, but basically, you know, if you look at the multiples that these companies are trading at and the sizes that they're that they've achieved themselves, you know, there are very few companies in South Africa that are 
remotely like that, you know, and and, and they, there's a real culture in the US of, of these kinds of transactions, these sort of trade acquisition type transactions. And uh, yeah, I guess the short answer is um, most likely the US, yeah. Yeah, understandably. Unless NASPAS and Process keep selling 10 cents and they've got some <laughs> bucks to buy. It, no, exactly. Yeah. They can stop wasting yeah. their money on food delivery companies and actually buy stuff that <laughs> makes money. I still, yeah, so that's a topic for another day. <laughs> Given that we're running quite short on time, and I think, you know, maybe let's get to the quick fire yeah. questions. So this is something we do at the end of each Jinto discussion. Okay. Five questions, quick answers, quick questions. Favorite book and why? Um, Catcher in the Rye and because of when I read it. Okay, the next one's really interesting based on the conversation we, that we just had, but most important characteristic for a startup board member? Integrity. And then most important characteristic for a... Startup entrepreneur. Uh, determination, for sure. Your favorite app on your phone? Maybe Spotify. I knew it. I was, I was literally thinking to myself, I got fiber literally this last week. It's very embarrassing. But we only just had fiber put in our complex. And I feel like I've just joined the, the technology age, you know, and I can now sit and just stream all day while I work. It's terribly embarrassing. My LTE contract was not doing it for me anymore. Um, <laughs> so that was what I learned about myself as well during lockdown, actually, is that I really needed fiber. And uh, that's the question to you now is, is, and last question, and to end off the show, something new that you learned about yourself during lockdown? That I really need people in my life. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm, um, I'm more of a social creature than, than I ever thought I was, and, and I really benefit from being around people. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think it's true for, I think it's true for all of us. I think th that's really all we've got time for now, and, and such a cool show. Thank you. That was oh, a, thanks, guys. That was yeah. a really, that was a really fun chat, and really and, fun. Thank you. Yeah, I think from the vagabond and I, it's uh, really excited about the startup junta and the people we get to meet and the insights we get to share. So thank you so much for your time. And and this was episode four of the startup junta. Vagabond, thank you as well. It's nice to have you in the room in Cape Town. Yeah, it's nice to be here, and the coffee was good tonight as well. So thanks for that. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is uh, such a such an awesome experience for me. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you to our listeners. Hope you enjoyed it. Go back and listen to the other Gintos if this is the first one you've heard and look out for the next one. Cheers.